Hello and welcome to the first Stadio podcast on Ringer FC. I'm Mesut Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm all right, man. How are you? I am ecstatic. I am recording <laughs> from an undisclosed location deep in the German countryside in like a dream farmhouse. It is actually so amazing with my friend's family. The food has been incredible. Like I'm, I'm living my truth. I'm living a dream. You picked the right time to go away. Our first Ringer FC podcast. Our <laughs> studio podcast on Ringer FC. You did one out of Berlin. Listen, give the people what they want. <laughs> I mean, we're recording remotely anyway. We've been, we've been recording remotely for over three yeah. months now. So it's not really, it doesn't really matter, I suppose. I will say one thing is this house is so amazing that I woke up in the night. I was woken up at 3.17am by a splashing sound. And I was like, oh my God, there's like another creature. There's a creature in my room. And it wasn't, it was a fish from the pond downstairs. Wow. Jumping around. Yeah, that's how clear the sound travels. Yeah. Was it a catfish? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that's probably too much of an inside joke already for Ringer FC fans. People who haven't listened to us before and are only just discovering us via the Ringer FC feed you will become familiar with what a catfish is very, very soon. Do you know what this is foreshadowing? No, actually, do you know what? We may not explain it now. Let them just, let it just sit there as foreshadowing. They'll get into it. If anyone has seen the TV show Catfish, it's basically that in a football sense. Exactly. Football and catfish. Heads up, because this is our first show on Ringer FC, we might go a bit long today. Yeah. We're usually about 45 minutes, our podcasts, right? Yeah, but we're quite excitable today, aren't we? Yeah, and we thought we should do Premier League and we've got... The Bundesliga is wrapping up soon and I was at a game on the weekend, so I'm going to talk about that. And then we've got La Liga and then yeah. Serie A came back. Ugh. Bundesliga wraps next week, so everything's kind of fitting into place a little bit. So Exactly. Can... But yeah, you know, first one on the Ring FC feed, so... Let's go along. Let's go along. Director's cut. <laughs> before we get going, though, we need to do some admin. So yeah, before we fully migrate over to the Ring FC feed exclusively, it means you can still vote for us in the British Podcast Awards. We've been pushing this agenda for a while on our own feed. <laughs> so if you, if you want to vote for us in the Listener's Choice Award, because we didn't get nominated for any awards properly, no. you can go to britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote. Go and vote. Search for Stadio and give us a little vote. Yeah. Because it would be great if we could arrive at Ring FC, you know, as the award-winning Stadio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be quite cool. Exactly. Also, yeah, like we mentioned, we're going to be dual posting for a couple of weeks on the Stadio feed and on the Ringer FC feed before migrating exclusively over to the Ringer FC Spotify feed. So for those of you who are listening to us via the Stadio feed, there's a link in the description that will take you straight to the Ringer FC Spotify feed. Uh, trying to think if there's any more admin before we before we get into it um not really i, I think that's only, everything right the thing really the only re- really important admin is just sort of be good to yourselves and take care of each other yeah we i mean that's a general we, we say this every week on ours but obviously we are in the middle of a pandemic yeah exactly there's we are. a lot of there's a lot of shit going down worldwide so we yeah. do hope that everyone who is listening is safe well healthy hopefully happy yeah if we can kill 45 minutes of your day by listening to this <laughs> yeah. then at least we've kind of done something and Arsenal fans, I'm really sorry because we're going to probably ruin your day even more. <laughs> oh no. We should probably get this out of the way now, right? So Ring receive people. I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm not disclosing. No, I'm not disclosing. No, wait go. a minute. I've been exposed. I didn't want to do that. There you go. Oh no. 
throwing him under the bus, Mourinho style. Oh God. Okay. Do you know what? I wasn't going to disclose that, but what the hell? I mean, I can cut that out. Nah, nah, nah. Leave it in there. There's other things in this podcast that people, listeners do not know, and I will disclose those over time. What, that you've got a sweet tooth? <laughs> this is, do you know what? Let's stop with the sweet shaming. Let's get into some football. <laughs> let's actually get into some football. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about, well, Premier League was, it was the first full weekend of Premier League fixtures yep. for a long, long time. Yeah. Not incredible, but understandable. Right. Similar pattern that we saw with the Bundesliga. So we're based in Germany. We've been, we're in Berlin, Germany, and the Bundesliga has been back a while now. In fact, it's been back so long that it only has one more match day left next week. Mm. Do you want to start Spurs, Manchester United? Yeah, let's do it. This was a one-all draw and maybe told us more about the weaknesses and the strengths of Manchester United than it taught us about Spurs, if that makes sense. Only because Spurs didn't truly impose themselves on the game. I felt like they exposed flaws Mm. rather than they were actively dangerous. So Manchester United had a good amount of match control, but then when Spurs really wanted to expose gaps, did so in devastating fashion, Bergwijn scored another quite nice goal. The goal wasn't as beautiful as it looked when you saw it again, mainly because he kind of coasted past Harry Maguire and then crashed the ball in the direction of David De Gea, who then kind of got sort of glass wrists and spooned it into the net. It was bizarre because De Gea and Loris are probably the goalkeepers in the world at the moment who have the highest gap between their peak and their trough. Like if you look at something like Buffon, right? Buffon was basically, for 20 years, Buffon has been an 8.5 out of 10, Mm. you know, consistently and often a 10, to be honest. Whereas De Gea has been a 10 for several seasons on end. And then it's kind of been like a six for a, a year and a half. And it's really weird watching, it's quite, quite poignant watching a goalkeeper, a great goalkeeper deteriorate quickly. And I wonder what that's due to. But yeah, um, so Bergwijn scores an open against the run of play and Pogba um, earns a penalty. <laughs> for the late, yeah, Pogba of all people, with whom Mourinho obviously famously, infamously fell out, wins a penalty for Bruno Fernandes to score and equaliser. Fernandes was again very, very good. And those two playing as eights in a midfield three is quite exciting for United. But the one thing I'll say about Pogba earning the penalty against Dyer, Pogba is probably the worst footballer to encounter in the final third for any defender, simply because he has so many ways to beat you. And it reminded me of Joshua Kimmich, France, Germany in the Euros 2016, when you're up against this guy, you're isolated against a footballer. He's six foot three, you know, is technically out of this world and just so physically... You don't know, you'd actually, you watch Eric Dyer just thinking, I, I've not seen that before. He's one of the few footballers that I think will size a defender up and you can kind of imagine him just saying, you want to dance? Exactly, yeah, yeah. And Eric Dyer did not want to dance. He did struggle, bless him. But I thought Eric Dyer wasn't that bad at centre-back. I think that was probably the main blip that he had. But like you say, Pogba is so technically gifted in those positions. And glimpses of maybe a Pogba that people have been quite quick to forget. I actually tweeted that, you know, I think a lot of people have forgotten just how good at football Paul Pogba is. Yeah. He showed, again, just how important he can be for Manchester United. But also we've said before that there is no point having a player like Paul Pogba in your side if you aren't prepared to play him in a position where it, you're going to maximise his skill set. And that's why he was so brilliant at Juve. This isn't exactly rocket science here, but, you know, the left of that midfield three at Juve were undoubtedly his best years so far I think the game I remember was the away leg at the Bernabeu when they went to the final that year and he made that 
break from the halfway line and he kind of dinked it over Ramos and he he completely tore them apart. Yeah. And that was because that Juve midfield had so much balance and it's a balance that Manchester United have struggled to get since he's been there in the mid, well, to be honest, all over the pitch, but especially in midfield. Now, I know it's early days, but Fernandez and Pogba as two eights with a really, really decent holding midfielder instantly looks like a really good midfield for Manchester United and probably their most interesting midfielder that they've had for a long, long time. Yeah. I think they could probably do with like an upgrade on McTominay in the holding midfield role. But that's not to say that he's a bad player by any means. It's just, I think that if you're going to really, really let those two, i.e. Pogba and Fernandez go, like really, really kind of turbocharge him, you know, you need someone like a kind of Bushgets or not well, Bushgets now, but that kind of... Sal Nikos? Sal, maybe. Too dynamic. Yeah, we had a question actually from Charith Munasingi who said, thoughts on Thomas Partey as an ideal defensive midfielder for Manchester United sitting behind Bruno and Pogba. There were a couple of questions about Partey because he's been rumoured to go to Arsenal, although I'm not entirely sure how, <laughs> how realistic that is at the moment. But he'd be perfect. I think Thomas Partey with Pogba and Fernandez is a really, really, really tasty midfield. Mm. Because Thomas Partey is seen as this kind of unit, if you like, in midfield, but he's also technically brilliant. His passing ability is so, so under the radar, I think. Yeah, yeah. And he's fully formed. He is fully formed. He's ready to go. I mean, yeah, I think he could probably walk into a, most Premier League sides, Thomas Partey. I don't think there's a Premier League side, top Premier League side that wouldn't take him. I can't think of a Premier League side he wouldn't actually, in some cases, materially improve. Yeah, I agree. I think if you swapped him for Rodri, actually, Partey is what Rodri was meant to be, and still should be, still will be, I think, for Manchester City. Yeah, and I think he has a lot of the attributes that Fernandinho had in that mid, in that Man City midfield as well, but he's yeah. just a, a bigger presence there. I think. I think that's right. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, one all fair result, maybe. I think it's yeah, it's a great result. I, I thought it was a really good game, actually. I thought so. I, I really enjoyed it as a as a football match. I don't know if you saw this, but I was watching it on the UK broadcast, and Roy Keane was not happy at halftime about. <laughs> yeah, but then uh, can I mean can I be honest with you? He wasn't happy, but. He was kind of like, I think it's one of those ones when you've been so long in a, in a role, in a suit, that the suit starts to consume the wearer. Do you know what I think it was? I think it was that he's been in lockdown so long, and he just couldn't wait to get out and have a rant. That's, no, that's actually, that's probably quite a good analysis as well. And that's a bit. Yeah, he's just like, I'm free. I'm out. I'm out. Right. Who can I tear into? Because <laughs> he went a bit too turbo. Like he doesn't normally, he normally tears into people, but this was kind of like, this was actually quite hammy. He went peak Roy Keane, yeah. He did, he did. But even this was like, I saw this and I was like, this is beyond parody. This is like, where was that energy for Peter Schmeichel? <laughs> yeah. Where was that energy? Like, you know, there's, and actually there are certain people, who is it who was talking about this in a different context, a different sports team? Oh yeah, it was Michael Jordan in The Last Dance and Horace Grant saying, Mike knew who to pick on because if he tried that on me, yeah. you, you get owned, you get eight. He tried it on Steve Kerr, didn't he? Steve Kerr clocked him one. Yeah, Steve Kerr. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cleaned his clock. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you want to go now? Are we going to talk about Arsenal? Where do, do I want to talk want about to... the Merseyside derby first? Merseyside derby wasn't much of a spectacle, but we understandable. Can be, we, can, we can be quick with it. Do want, the only thing that was actually that note about the Merseyside derby, weirdly enough, apart from Sadio Mane <laughs> sprinting off at the start, <laughs> instead of doing... <laughs> what are you doing, Sadio? God bless him. Like, instead of doing observing the, the kneel, I think he thought it was kickoff. Someone tweeted that video and said it was the highlight of the derby. I mean, it was actually. The highlight of the derby, sadly, which says everything about the quality of football on the pitch, was symbolic. And 
it wasn't specifically the Black Lives Matter protest by Alexander Arnold because he wore Black Lives Matter on his boots. What's interesting is he has only very recently started to speak out about this issue. Right? As in, he's always cared about racism, of course, but he's only really begun to speak out. So the first time actually, I think he did so, was actually when I interviewed him for The Observer for a piece about online racist abuse. Spoke for like 10 minutes, really nice guy. And his agent was like, yeah, he's just getting out there. And to see him go from that late last year to I'm doing this. Like if you look at the leap in his outspokenness, his activism, I was like, wow, that's like, that is actually quite a sharp trajectory, especially for like a young dude. So yeah, that was really impressive to see. He's still only 21. Exactly, exactly. But I mean, if you think what, what we were like at 21 and the responsibility that footballers have from such a young age to become spokespeople, yeah, yeah. you know, in the men's and the women's game, I think we just forget how young these players are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the political challenges the women's game has faced, you can coast a lot more easily. Comparatively speaking, as a, as a male, there are things you just don't have to talk about. You don't have to speak up about the existential crisis or consider it of the game. Yeah, Alexander Arnold, really impressive. What I would say though as well, he was probably troubled by one of the best players in the pitch, uh, Richarlison, who looked quite good. Mm. Richarlison looked quite tasty in the game. There's not much to say about this game, only it moves Liverpool a point closer to the title they deserve. Yeah, I don't think Jurgen Klopp will be that unhappy with it. I think think Everton could have won the game, probably should have. Yeah, they should have. They took cup chances. They should have. Um, But yeah, the Tom Davies one that hit the post was the one I thought would would have been it. But absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, credit to Carlo Ancelotti though, who is doing a really, really great job at Everton. I love that. I love that appointment so much. I loved it at the time. I love it even more now. Yeah, I was big into his t-shirt and blazer vibe as well. Ringer FC fans, you'll find that managers' sartorial choices are a big theme of our podcast yeah. and will pop up very frequently. <laughs> Ancelotti greeted Klopp with one of his best eyebrows yet. So, the Ancelotti eyebrow is obviously famous already, but it was like, there's like a, his eyebrows are like, they indicate so many different things. Oh, they're magnificent. Yeah. Just like, there was a really, really great interview with Sid Lowe that he did on, in the Guardian this week. Yes, that's amazing. Where he touches on police brutality as well in the US and elsewhere, which I thought was super interesting. And this is the thing that we've been really encouraged by in terms of the visibility that the Premier League and other leagues are giving to these issues at the moment. It's yeah. kind of unprecedented. When when did you think that you would hear Carlo Ancelotti talk about police brutality or anyone like that, you know? But one thing I want to say as well is like, what's kind of amazing, imagine you're like a young black player and you've got like a family thinking where to send their kid and thinking, my son's going to be fine there. My son's mm. going to be good at that manner. That's just what, this is why it's so incredible. Like young black players looking at these clubs and the ones that are outspoken, not just outspoken, not in a kind of corporate sense, but really in a thoughtful way where they've actually considered the issues. You're thinking, yeah, like I want my kid to go there. So that's, in, you know, that's full credit to, to Everton. It's exciting in Liverpool at the moment, you know, two very historic, very kind of community focused clubs as well, but yep. big clubs with two managers who seem to have really bought into the community and the cultural aspects of both clubs. Like obviously Ancelotti hasn't been at Everton as long as Klopp has been at Liverpool, but both of them just seem to really get the clubs. And I think it's a really exciting time on Merseyside for for Premier League football, I think. When was the last time there were four Champions Leagues on Merseyside? I know. Between the managers. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Imagine the comic, imagine a Klopp-Ancelotti, a conversation over a glass of wine, probably a beer actually, those two, probably be a beer with those two. But can you imagine that? Oh man. 
Okay, let's move on to... We, gonna, we had so many questions about Arsenal. So we should probably go there, right? Should we? Okay, let's do it. I mean, we have yeah, to. I, I'm, I'm, being, I'm being slightly silly, only because I obviously, as someone who's sympathetic to Arsenal from a distance... Why? Don't be sympathetic. Why wouldn't I be? Why would you be? I'm a we poet. deserve I'm, everything we get. I'm a honestly. poet. I'm drawn to tragedy. I'm, I'm drawn to tragedy, <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> let's get into it. Let's get into it quickly. All right. So I was at the Hertha game when this game was going on and I checked my phone. It was 1-0. Nicola Pepe had a beautiful goal. Yeah. And uh, I was like, all right, well, that's decent. That'll probably be it. How wrong I was. Oh, Ryan. When will I learn? Do you want a couple of facts? Facts. It's the first time that Brighton had won this calendar year. And since the last time they beat Arsenal, which was December the 5th at the Emirates, the only other side they've beaten in the Premier League, or in any competition actually, was Bournemouth. They beat them 2-0 at home. I mean... I mean, the Arsenal injury curse continues. Burnt Leno looks like he's going to be out for a long, long time. What did you think about this? Because it sparked a hell of a lot of debate online and on stuff like Match of the Day. And if I'm being honest, I was a little bit confused by the lack of criticism that Mope got on the broadcast. If I'm honest with you, I have two different... So I saw Mope go in and the injury seems to have come primarily because Leno landed badly. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, here's the key thing. If you look at like basketball, for example, one of the worst injuries you can have is when you hit someone in the air or when they're on their way down. And the equivalent of what Morpé did was based when someone shoots a jump shot and you put your foot under theirs as they land. Recklessly, but you know, that's kind of the equivalent. It was like Petulia on Kawhi that yes. season where oh. Pop went absolutely wild about okay. it. Okay, excellent shout. So, and that's why Leno was so angry because Leno was pointing at Morpé as he went off and he was just like, you know, it's funny because there was a lot made of the fact that I actually kind of didn't like this at all. A lot made of the fact that, oh, like his players didn't back him. I'm like, yeah, but here's the thing is such a thing specific to a goalkeeper. Like when you get done like that as a goalkeeper, you specifically know how dangerous that injury is because you're like, it's the one thing you fear in a way that outfield players don't fear it. So the reason why Leno was so afraid and so angry was he knew the second he landed what that meant. And that is probably the injury that every goalkeeper fears. Mm. When you're brave like Leno is, you know, all keepers are brave. When you're brave like keepers are and you go up for it, there's a kind of implicit good faith that someone's not going to go into you. And seeing Morpi do that, and not get fitting punishment. And then to go and score the winner, the whole episode was actually just so ugly, to be honest. There was a big hashtag narrative there with everything what happened. But I think that the action and the injury should be two separate things. Yeah. Well, the action the action is dangerous enough to create that outcome. For example, there was a lot of, you know, oh, he obviously didn't mean to injure him. I think that's obvious. I don't think any player would do what Mopé did with the intention of seriously injuring someone. But that doesn't make it not a little bit snide or sly. There was a really good piece that Andrew Mangum wrote on Arsblog about it, and I kind of agree with him about it, where he said that he didn't want to injure him, but he wanted Leno to take the ball out of the box so he could get a free kick. And, and actually, the first thing he did when Leno landed was point because Leno had taken the ball out of the box. But the thing is, I totally agree with the, he has every right to go for it in quotation marks, if both players are kind of challenging for a ball that's in midair. However, Mope leaves the floor when the ball is already in Leno's hands and Leno is already in the air. And then he makes contact with him. And obviously Mope didn't mean to seriously injure Bert Leno. That's 
I, th- I think that's obvious. The two don't have to be mutually exclusive. But I wouldn't do that at the level I play at. And if anyone did do that to someone on my team at the level we play at, it would kick off because everyone knows how dangerous that is. How many times have we seen it in the NBA where players are in the air and they get a nudge? It's super dangerous. So I think it was very, very poor from Mope. I agree. I agree. Leno could have landed, all would have been fine, and it still would have been poor. They're too focused in English football specifically on the concept of fair play. And if they didn't mean it, they're not that kind of player. This is actually absolutely insane. Even if you didn't mean it in your heart of hearts, I don't care what's in your heart of hearts. Like you've hit a player off the ground and, you know, whether or not he's injured, that is an instant yellow for that. It's an instant yellow, in my opinion. And the yeah, injury- I mean, I mean, this is the thing. We're yeah. not kind of like saying anything massively, mm. I don't think, hot takey here. If, the, if a goalkeeper is off the ground with the ball in his hands and your feet are on the floor, don't jump into him. Thank you. That's it. There's That's no, basically it. Yeah, there's no, oh, he's a nice guy. He does community work. No, 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 no. I don't want to. <laughs> Just don't jump. Yeah, don't I don't want a picture of him with his family and like, oh, he does good things, the community. No, I'm not interested. Yeah. But from a Brighton perspective, I do feel some sympathy because, you know, they fully deserve to win the game anyway. And I'm not entirely sure that the Leno injury changes that. I mean, he may have done better on the goals, yeah, because I think he's a better goalkeeper than Martinez, but I don't ultimately think Martinez was at fault for either of them. It was Arsenal's defending. Yeah. Mustafi got turned too easily on the second. It was an absolute scramble and a bit of a shambles for the first. And Arsenal should have put the game out of sight before Brighton started having more chances. Yeah. We had so many questions on Arsenal, so I'll just whiz through a few just to give them a shout. Adam P, is this Arsenal the most Arsenal Arsenal in the history of Arsenal? I mean, there have been a few contenders. We've not even that. come close to peak. No, sorry, sorry, Adam. No, Adam, no offence, but we've not even come close. <laughs> there is, we are not even in the foothills of Arsenal. We have not even at base camp Arsenal. We are not. We're not close to peak Arsenal. I mean, peak Arsenal, come on, let's be honest. Falling up against Newcastle. Oh yeah, and for all. In, yeah. terms, oh, of an individ- in, t- in terms of a 90 minute span that gave me <laughs> all my Arsenal vitamins that gave me everything that I needed because Arsenal gave me the content that I needed and that's why I adore them. They give me what I need. That was peak Arsenal for me, the four-all draw. Because you saw everything there. You saw it all. Mm. Let's take this question quick before we move on. Tommy Dudley said, as a New York City FC fan and fairly new Premier League fan, I use this break to assess my priorities and realign my allegiance from Manchester City to Arsenal. As a lifelong fan of three weeks, have I made a huge mistake? We both responded basically, Yes, Tommy. In short, absolutely yes. I'm not sure why you would knowingly walk into this. It's like, in the words of Musa Gwanga, that you will hear him roll out a number of times on this podcast, you knew what this was. You knew what this was. You knew what this was, and you still decided to join the party. I was born into it. Like, my dad was Arsenal-related before, so I couldn't really... I mean, I could. I, I tried my best to change my mind at one point when I was a kid, mm. uh, and I couldn't. I just pulled me back they pulled me back Tommy and if you're listening to this um, and if ever any other any other fans planning to become Arsenal fans at this point and switch sort of switch horses Tommy could you please keep this decision secret from your friends and family and maybe <laughs> impressionable young minds because I just feel don't get me wrong I, I love Arsenal I want them to be supported but I just feel Tommy you're at a certain point where you could be influential on a young mind and I, I just wouldn't want someone to kind of make the same you know you've made your bed and I love that I respect that but I just don't want to draw anyone else into this drama. So if you could just keep that quiet in your circle for now, that'd be great. Lead by example. 
because nope. otherwise 30 years from now they'll be on the like the sequel to Stadio podcast going I'm here because Tommy <laughs> Tommy, Tommy Dudley is the person who got me into this <laughs> let's quickly touch on Chelsea before we go to a break because we've been going on about the Premier League for ages we have yeah oh my god smart from Lampard yeah yeah nice use of subs Pulisic very impressive a player who I think is I mean look Pulisic's peak is a very very long way away and I think he's a player who will only become more important for actually since we're doing Ring RC it's funny like shout out to two American players doing big things this weekend Pulisic don't, don't spoil it because we're going to talk about him after the break okay but he was wow what a player anyway let's get into it later but Pulisic just the movement was was fantastic and Giroud again Someone there's a question we got about strikers, like having strikers are kind of like a seven out of ten, and how was that? And I was like, well, Giroud has been over the course of his career, you might argue he's been a seven out of ten as a striker in terms of goal scoring production. What I love about Giroud is he gives you decisive moments. Giroud is, in many respects, a unique player because I think he's actually better at combination than at goal scoring. But I think that was always his intention. I think he always, you look at a player like Josip Ilicic for Atalanta, who's very tall, but height isn't a thing that he trades in. He actually is like very, you know, his feet are ridiculous. You look at Giroud, who is a tall striker, who actually made his name at Montpellier, you know, his headed goals were all the thing. He adjusted his game. He was always a bit of a link man. And now he's a superb link man. And I love that he got the winner because I feel like every time Giroud scores, it's like he gets the flowers that he deserves for the rest of his game. Does that make sense? Mm, like yeah. every time Giroud scores a decisive goal, it's like he gets the headlines that he deserves for doing so many other things really well. And I think as Chelsea evolve into their next phase, Giroud will be a really important continuity player. He'll be like Ed- when Edgar Davids was at Barca and Barca basically had that incredible period post-Christmas where they surged to second in the league. Mm. I think Giroud's time at Chelsea, like as a transitional footballer who helped them become the really good team. They're they're a good team now. They're actually really quite a good team. But Giroud for me is the player that will take them in transition to the attack they were meant to be. And I love him for that. Yeah, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see who stays or goes when Timo Werner arrives at Chelsea. Mm. Yeah. Because he could play with either Abraham or Giroud in a two or potentially as part of a three. Yeah. I think this potentially poses a few problems for Lampard. He benefited a lot from the transfer ban, the goodwill, the bringing the young players through. And as soon as the ban got lifted, they were like, fuck this. Let's sign some players after making all of those noises about this kind of change in, in kind of philosophy going forward. I'm really interested to see how that changes perceptions of him next season and actually how he copes with it because it's quite a big test for him as a manager. You know, he's still a young manager. Think about it. Dortmund have got a problem. No, sorry, Freudian slip. Chelsea have got a problem because they're kind of Dortmund at this point. And what I mean by that is loaded with attacking talent. You've got six young players potentially who could play in the front three. Mm. Like that is a real problem because you have to work out how those work. Ziek, Pulisic, Werner, Mason Mount. And Mason Mount is a strange player because he's someone who doesn't really pass that much in the final third, but he's not a meant to. He's almost like a late arriving deep lying forward. Mm. It's a very top-heavy attack in midfield, which is the problem that and that's, Dortmund And had. that's with Willian and Pedro leaving as Thank well. you. And that's what Pulisic left at Dortmund. He left mm. a situation he's walked into now. And if you saw what happened at Dortmund, you know, Brun Larsson is now like, at the, he's out. Pulisic kind of bounced out. I, I'm really a bit concerned for player development at Chelsea. 
I'm not saying that Chelsea won't play great football. They will. But it's not necessarily out of a place I'd advise a brilliant young player to go. And if Sancho is being chased, I'm not sure that's going to happen, but I don't know. I don't think it will, but it's a concern. Yeah, I mean, it's it's swung from being a place that looked like it was going to be great for player development. And then they signed two stars in positions where key players were developing. So Chelsea over the next season or so are going to be really interesting to watch yeah. to see how they how they develop. Um, should we wrap it for the Premier League? Yeah, let's do it. Let's wrap it. Let's take a break. All right, we're back from the break and we're going to go to the Bundesliga. But first, before that, we have a question from James Tyler. He said, if Stadio was a Bundesliga team, who is your manager? To which there surely must be one answer. You take it there, Ryan. Begins with M and it ends with Arco Rosa. <laughs> Only a man team. that handsome could keep both Moose and I in check. Absolutely. He knows, he knows what we think. He knows what we think. Yeah. Ringer FC people who haven't listened to Stadio before. Get used to some frequent Marco Rosa thirst because it's coming. Oh boy. It's coming. It's uh, it's very frequent on this podcast. <laughs> so let's maybe start with Gladbach on that tip who beat Paderborn 3-1 in Paderborn. Yes. Paderborn already down. They had a bit of a scare though. They went 1-0 up and then Paderborn equalised and literally, what, a minute and a half later, I think it was, they got a penalty. Brill and Bono look good again. I like him a lot. I like him a lot. Um, that's he... Gladbach are a good example of a team who've got a really nicely balanced attack. They've got like five players who can rotate pretty well and mm. still be quite dangerous. Does that make sense? You've got your um, player in there. You've got um, Turam. Ebolo comes in and does a great job. Great move and stretches the play. Great feet. And just a really nice wide forward. And look, Gladbach is just a beautifully coached team. Hoffman look good again. Neuhaus again. It's just, I mean, those who haven't spent more time watching Gladbach do pay attention because you're always, they've been, they've been good. I mean, I've been in Germany for six years now. They've been entertaining for as long as I've been in Germany. Like they were the most, they were the most exciting team I watched early on here. I think they beat Schalke 5-1. I always talk about this game. They beat Schalke 5-1 mm. and it was just, wow. And I came back and I said to a friend, I said, look, Gladbach, they don't win the league here, but my God, they play the football. They, they really just win play hearts. The they do win hearts. hearts and minds. Yeah, so nice game that, nice game. They needed that win as well. Yeah, it's put Gladbach in pole position to clinch the last Champions League spot in the mm. Bundesliga because Leverkusen lost 2-0 away at Hertha, a game that I was at at the Olympiastadion. Right, it's a right. good win for Hertha because they, after um, a good start under Bruno Labbadia, they'd hit a bit of a poor run of form, lost three on the bounce. Mm. Hertha are now above Schalke. That's how good Hertha have been under Labadia, and that is how poor Schalke's run of form is. But back to the game. Leverkusen were quiet. Didn't really do much. Havertz was quiet, unfortunately. I made a point of watching him for the first half, just kind of keeping my eyes on him as much as possible. And his movement is unbelievable. He's always in so much space. And I'm actually going to write a piece on Havertz soon because he's an incredible footballer. And he's someone who will stay at Leverkusen probably next season, but will go on to be a star at a mega club, I think. Leverkusen are in fifth. They're two points behind Gladbach now. And Hertha, the side who beat Leverkusen, travel to Gladbach on the final day of the season. But a point will do it for Gladbach. 
if the top five stays as it is in that order, you can't really argue, I don't think. Gladbach no. were, were top at points this season. They had a chance to be, well, they very nearly could have been top at Christmas. Um, but that was Leipzig who lost to Dortmund on the weekend, 2-0 at home. Gio Reyna's first start for Dortmund and his first assist. A gorgeous assist as well. It was lovely. It was really beautiful. Yeah, it was a really, really nice touch. Very clever. Him and Holland, I think, are going to have a nice, nice long relationship. And there are a few noises coming out at Dortmund that Sancho won't go in the summer after it being heavily suggested that he would. What I'll say about the Rayner pass, the reason I love it so much, the assist, and apologies for yet another basketball reference, but do you remember the, when the Spurs won in 2014? Oh, yeah. And they all, the genius of that Spurs team winning the NBA was that they always made the extra pass that made the basket absolutely certain. Do you know what I mean? 2.5 seconds. 2.5 exactly. seconds. And this was, Reyna's pass was the most San Antonio Spurs assist I've seen for a while. Mm, where lovely. He, he so could have taken that, surged onto it and finished. But he was like, we're going to make absolutely sure. And that was so delicate. It was such a delicate, the instep and just like, a little bit of fade. A little bit Very of fade, cash. cut across it, yeah. Bayern 1-3-1 at home to Freiburg. Obviously, they were champions already. Um, down the bottom, it's looking tasty. Before we get to the bottom, quick shout out to Sarpreet Singh. I got a message from Francis Awaratefi, um out in Australia about this. Sarpreet Singh coming from the Australian League and now on the bench for Bayern. And some really interesting players in that Bayern squad. Like, while the seniors are out or being rested, there are some, I mean, Bayern have got a scary second generation. They've got a good young crop coming through Bayern. Yeah. Yeah, very, very good. Very good. Anyway, so yeah, back to the drop. Back to the drop. Um, so Bremen and Fortuna are basically going to have a scrap for who finishes in the relegation playoff place or who f- goes down automatically. Uh, currently, Bremen are on 28 points. Fortuna are on 30. Shout out to Mites, though, because Mites, Mites pulled themselves out of trouble. Yeah, they have. They're, they're, I mean, maybe we'll kind of wrap the Bundesliga up properly next week because it yeah, will wrap next week. So yeah, let's, yeah. Do a, let's do a proper Bundesliga-focused one at the beginning Sounds of next good. week. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you want to talk? Do you, do you want to hear about the, the ghost game thing quick? Because it was weird. Of course. So yeah, weird, course. man. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so I went to, like I mentioned, I, meant, I went to Hertha against Leverkusen on Saturday and it was the first game that I've been to since football resumed in Germany the whole thing was super weird and the thing that you notice and I'm going to write this in this piece I think is that it starts way before you've got to the ground it's just little things that you that are so different on your commute there for example whenever you go to a football game and people who go to any sporting events know this you know you're going somewhere on the way right you can't escape it for example when I went to Dortmund on the way there there are people getting on at every station there are people from Berlin in Dortmund shirts you're reminded of the event that you're going to all the way there until you arrive. And this had none of that. And it was very, very strange. And then you got to the Olympiastadion. I, was ne- I nearly missed kickoff, actually, because silly me didn't double check the email and realised that you had to pick up the accreditation from a different place this time. So you had to go to the fan shop, which is on the other side of the Olympia Park. Oh my gosh, For those of huge. you aware of the Olympiastadion in Berlin, I had to sprint round to the fan shop. A few police fans, eerily quiet picked up my accreditation, cut back through the training ground actually because it was open. No one around. Walked around to the press entrance. Had to have my temperature taken. Had to fill out a a survey before from the DFL, the Deutsche Football League. 
saying, you know, I haven't had COVID. I haven't been in touch with anyone that I know have had, has had COVID and I haven't left Germany for 14 days or whatever. Guy comes up to me, shoves a thermometer in my ear, takes my temperature and then turns it round to show me really sternly. So I'm panicking thinking, why is he doing this? Is this bad? And I just, <laughs> so I just said to him, I was like, is that normal? Or, you know, like, is that normal or what? And he was just like, yes. Or like, yeah, it's fine, basically. Like, <laughs> the most German dude, thing. The most like, Berlin thing ever. <laughs> I was like, man, you might need to work on your technique a little bit because I thought I was going to get kicked out there. And then uh, hand sanitizer, <laughs> they check your bag, you give them the survey, then you're in. And then it's just, there's no one there. There's all the TV vans. There's just no one. It's quiet. It's like so quiet. Everyone's scattered in the press box. I counted actually seven written journalists, three TV cameramen, and four or five commentators. It's unbelievable. It was super eerie. Really, really, really eerie. And you could just hear everything. Like there was, Even though you're quite far away from the pitch at the Olympic Stadion, you can just hear absolutely everything. Like the referee coming over and telling Peter Bosch. He said, next is Mar Gelber Carter. So it's like, <laughs> next time, yellow card. Do you know what I mean? Because Peter Bosch was mouthing off. But you can hear it. You can hear everything. And the thing that I found really wild about the experience actually being there was that obviously apart from the huge golfing quality, it just sounds like games we've played in, in Germany. Right. The talking is the same. Like, Sheben, Kompmänner, Fighter Youngs. <laughs> Do you know what's funny as well? What I think is amazing when I watch the games and I watch the intensity of the, the matches we've seen, because now the German league, they're up to speed again. Like the fitness is there and they're really flying. Um, watching them play you realise how much they shut out the crowd because mm. you see the intensity of the interactions, the intensity of the, the tackles, the goal celebrations in several cases. You're like, they play as if the crowd aren't there a lot of the time. I mean, and don't get me wrong, on specific nights, they will draw from energy from the crowd. I'm not trying to sort of say that crowds don't matter, but it reminds you just how well-conditioned elite athletes are to competition. Like the spectacle doesn't feel lesser. Like watching some of the games as well, now that we've been watching more games, across the leagues. You know, we've been watching more football than most people actually because our league started earlier. Watching games across the leagues, I'm really struck by, my God, they're going fully in. They're going fully in. And, and, and not not they wouldn't be, don't get me wrong, but it's such a kind of incredible reminder that once the whistle goes, these people, like they might as well be playing in front of 10 people or 100,000. It's like watching, do you know what it's like? It's like when you go to Glastonbury and you watch like some amazing band on a small stage who basically just to be happy playing at Glassbury and they're playing to like 10 people in a straw filled tent and they're absolutely going wild on stage. Even though there's probably more people in the band than spectators. It feels like that watching some of this football. Yeah. I mean, if I'm not going to lie, this felt really kind of sad. That's why I quite like the absence of fan noise because the fan noise and this is just from a philosophical point of view, I'm not saying I'm against people that like it, don't get me wrong. I like the fact that it reminds us that we haven't returned to normal. Like yeah. you know, the infection rates have risen in Germany like quite sharply in recent weeks. And I kind of like that jarring return to reality, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think that like. I've made my point quite clear on this and I, I understand if people do like the fun noise, but personally, of course, I think yeah. from a from a um, from a moral and an ethical point of view, I just don't think it should have been an option personally. You know, we're still able to watch games at, at home as fans. The people who we rely on to make the atmosphere of the product, quote unquote, that we're watching, aren't allowed to go there. So 
I don't think they should be replaced. I think it should be broadcast as as it is. But that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so very, very, very strange experience. We have been going super long today, but we need to quickly touch on La Liga and Italy very quickly before we get out of here. Yeah. The most interesting stuff. Well, the top of the league, Sevilla drawing with Barcelona. And Barcelona just finds so many ways to falter the final hurdle. This has been a real feature of Barcelona for the last three seasons. They find ways to lose altitude just mm. when they need to stay afloat most, stay up there most. And so the, the, cruel, the crucial issue and the cruel issue here, Sid Lowe summed up in a great tweet. So Sid Lowe, just an amazing follower in Spanish football, the essential follower in many cases. Sid Lowe said it best. There's a moment Arthur gets the ball and looks up to play a ball into the box and plays it back or plays it square. And Arthur is funny because he's a player who's been compared a lot to a Chavi, mainly because he's short, squat, and passes well over short distances and sometimes long ones. But actually, what is missing with Barcelona is the urgency and the intensity to advance the ball into the final third. And there's a risk-averse nature. I think that's a better way to put it. Barcelona are risk-averse, and the best Barcelona players traditionally have made the pass that is the most terrifying. Do you know what I think that is, though? I think that's because you're, you're finally seeing the, the cumulative effect of a lack of philosophy or the philosophy being eroded over seasons. And I don't want to plug this, but actually my first piece that I did for the Ringer was about the Classico. Mm. So if you go to ringer.com forward slash soccer, it'll be up there. The risky passing that you would talk about, the reason that was always there was because it was almost like clockwork. There was a confidence that flowed through that whole Barcelona organisation you know, from top to bottom down the youth team because it had been drilled into them from day one. And people were so confident in the philosophy, so confident in their own ability and so confident with the team chemistry. Everyone was on the same page. Whereas when they kind of blew that philosophy apart and started going after Galacticos, if you like, they've never nailed that transfer philosophy in the last five, six years. You talked about it earlier between um, about De Gea and Loris, about how the floor and the ceiling are super wide. It's been a long, long time since I've seen a Barcelona squad that has got a floor and a ceiling this wide. Right. The draw against Sevilla and Real beating Sociedad means that Real are now top on the head-to-head. And although I think the reaction from it, I don't know if you felt the same, but I felt the reaction was a little bit over the top. Yeah, of course it was. You know, there's still eight games to play in La Liga. And there were some people coming out talking like Real Madrid were 10 points clear. Yeah, you know what it is? I think the reason why this is traumatic is because it's symbolic, because they are wasting Leo Messi's final years. It's funny, look at Leo Messi's career. If you look at like Wayne Gretzky and Leo Messi, because they're, they're to me the most similar types of great athlete, incredible playmakers, just as good at scoring as, as, as assisting. Gretzky basically got off to a huge start, trophy laden start in his career, but like towards the end, never had the pieces around him to do him justice. Mm. And I think with Messi, there's a panic because you've had Coutinho, Dembele, Andre Gomes and Griezmann, these are all players brought in to substantially improve Barcelona and take them to the next level. And for different reasons, in Dembele's case, you know, not his fault at all, most of mm. the reasons of fit, none of those four transfers have delivered what was envisaged. And this is the real problem for Barca now. The problem when you make bad mistakes, like when you're in quicksand, don't keep kicking too fast, right? Look for a route to grab onto and draw yourself out. But Barcelona now, it feels like they're thrashing about and they're sinking deeper. It's like an NBA side who signed a load of bank contracts and they've just got no salary room. Oh my God, yes. Thank you. They've got one Hall of Famer and like three or four people who are signed on massive deals who just aren't that good. 
absolutely right. They kind of feel a little bit stuck, which sounds absurd when you're talking about Barcelona, who are still level on points at the top of La Liga and in with a shout of winning the Champions League. It sounds absurd, No, but, but then I think there's something else to be said here, Ryan, which is that it's almost like the whole thing of Barcelona is that it's the whole like more than a club thing. And you can argue this has started, we've, we've mentioned this before many times, I've to be quick. They've talked about this whole like more than a club and part of that, what that means is really about, it's about a philosophy of transfers and like who you bring in. If you're going to spend that much money on a player, they've got to be a generational talent. And Frankie de Jong represented that. That's why he's such an exciting signing, but they're like just another mega club. And this is what I think is painful for them, that they're basically Real Madrid, but Real Madrid don't care about that. They're shameless with it. They're like, look, yeah, we spend big money. We win stuff. Some of the transfers don't work. We move on. You're meant to be different to us. You're not even true to yourselves. And this is why this hurts. It mm-hmm. hurts because even if you lose, you lose on your terms. And I think the problem that Barcelona have is like right now, they're not even losing on their terms. Mm. You know, lose playing beautifully by all means. Like if you're going to lose, be like Brazil 82. Let's quickly talk about Italy, shall we? Yeah, I mean, before we move on from La Liga, I just want to shout out Celta Vigo, who won 6-0 at the weekend against Alaves. Rafinha with two beautiful goals. Love him. That was a really important win for Celta. It pulls them four clear of the relegation zone now. Ruby got sacked as Betis manager after Betis lost to Athletic. Yeah, 1-0, yeah. Ruby's strange, man. He's had a strange career. He hasn't been at many clubs more than a season, yet he seems to have had like a really good rep. They knew what this was. Actually, before I forget on the Celta shout-out, they've only scored 28 goals all season and this was six of them. <laughs> so yeah, this was the perfect time for them to get their scoring boots on. Um, I'm actually quite looking forward to the Bundesliga wrapping so it frees up a little bit more space to talk about La Liga because I think that's going to be the really interesting one on Oh my goodness, multiple, multiple so interesting. Levels. But so quickly, interesting. Let's, let's jump to Serie A before we get out of here because we've been going on for ages. I'm big into bored Lukaku. Yes, I like the energy. I like the energy. He got a beautiful goal, first goal for Inter after just a great term combination between Lautaro Martinez, Ericsson and Lukaku. And then Lukaku kind of returning the favour with a beautiful part in the build-up for Inter's seconds. They beat Sampdoria 2-1. And it's just funny for Lukaku because he's such a funny player because he gets criticised for his technique and then he pulls out gorgeous pieces of combination play in the final third. And you're like, yeah, he's just really quite good at this. He's really just quite good at this. I think him and Eric are going to have a lovely time. Yeah, they look really happy together. They've got big Stockton Malone energy them too. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very, that is actually an excellent shout. I like that very much. And you know what I like about it as well? I like that Ericsson kind of breaks up the kind of, the predictability of a, a Martinez, mm. Lukaku front two. It gives it a bit more a blend. It's a bit what Cunha did for yeah. Hertha with, mm. you know, now that Cunha allows, Cunha basically has allowed Luka Bakio to like, make those deep runs. Mm. And I think Ericsson's done the same for Martinez. It's balance, yeah, really man. Exciting. Balance Great and balance. chemistry, it really, really works. Um, but yeah, good, a good win for them, 2-1. But talking about balance and... Chemistry, Atalanta <laughs> returning. Can I shout out to the city of Bergamo who've been through absolute horror with COVID-19. Yeah. What I love about this, what I love about Atalanta is that Atalanta, for those who don't watch them, and this is the thing, always watch Atalanta. Absolutely. Atalanta, Highest goal scorers in Serie A. By a mile, by the way. Lazio are the next top scorers and they're 14 behind them. <laughs> the great thing about Atalanta is they gave us peak Atalanta. They had four goals, I think, three or four goals in the first half and one disallowed without uh-huh. their top goal scorer, Josip Ilicic. Like they, <laughs> they did all that without their biggest scorer and they're just a delight. It's almost like 
they were like, you know what? This city's been through a tough time, a brutal time with COVID-19. We're going to go out there. We're going to ball out. And they did it. Yeah, They would be my romantic choice to win the Champions League this year. If I could have any oh, team win, wow. they would be an absolute delight because it would mean so much to the city of Bergamo. It would be brilliant for Gasparini, who has been a manager who's never fully... There are some managers who aren't suited to the kind of bureaucracy of the biggest clubs, not because they're not great managers, but because that whole world is just not what they're about. They just want to go and do good police work. They're like Lester Freeman. They, don't want, they just want to do good police work, you know? And Gasparini is doing, he's doing good police work. Yeah, I mean, they're six points off Inter in third, but they've got a six point gap over Roma. So they're looking good for that fourth Champions League spot. Mm. I think we should probably go. We should probably Unless go. Unless you've got anything else to add. Uh, there was one one slight thing to add. Um, we mentioned this before that Wolfsburg Bayern is going to be the big game in the women's Bundesliga next season. And it was nil-nil on the weekend in the France Bundesliga. It was dry. And it was just a little bit of foreshadowing there. Um, but yeah, also they were wearing the Black Lives Matter t-shirts, which is very nice. Yes, they were. It was a little That's bit nice. of on the beach vibes there. Like Union. Union got absolutely smashed 4-0 at Hoffenheim. And it yeah. was very much, they looked like they'd been celebrating staying up all week, Union. And anyone yeah. that knows Berlin knows there would not have been a shortage of distractions in, uh, in Berlin. No clubs are open at the moment, though, still. Even though things are opening slowly, still no, still none of Berlin's famous nightclubs. But people yeah, have been having impromptu raves on the canal instead. Indeed. Uh, do we need to do any admin before we get out of here? Stadio on Twitter, Stadio Football on Instagram. Yeah. Our website, which you can go and check some, some work and past episodes as well, is stadio.football. But obviously ringer.com forward slash soccer on the ringer while we're still allowed britishpodcastawards.com forward slash vote go and vote go and vote for us in the <laughs> master's choice award and don't forget if you're listening on the stadio feed to subscribe on the ringer fc feed because we will be migrating over there exclusively in a couple of weeks anything else musa um i just just like you i'm really really happy to be here i'm really happy to be aboard and i can't wait to do more of it it's going to be awesome. I thought you went in your, your big countryside house on your break. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, won't, I won't get into the quality of the food I've been fed. The last yeah, can you few. not? Because I'm still in Berlin, so. Yeah, sorry about that. Don't worry, I'm distancing. <laughs> Everything's good. I'm well. Yeah, yeah. Another thing that you'll become familiar with is that we play out on different music each week. And this one comes from Patrick Cowley. We actually played out on the Sylvester version of this earlier on in the season. I Need Somebody to Love Tonight. Patrick Cowley produced it. Yeah. Um, Stay safe and well, everyone. And we'll be back on Thursday. See you then. Thank mm-hmm. you.